All right. Anybody want to come up and give us the three most important things <laughs> in life? Sincerity and earnestness. Evermore I see that in spiritual life, just when uh, when you run into a prayer or a song or just even thinking about God, that really changes the quality if you know that somebody's sincere or if you feel that sincerity and earnestness in yourself. So again, I commit to you this morning and, uh, and ask that each of us in our own place commit to that sincerity and that earnestness as we look at the scriptures and look at uh, spiritual life and our own spiritual life and where we are and where we're going. And then the second, of course, is very much like it from Takur, the idea of truth and how that uh, is fundamental to spiritual life. Uh, Truth within yourself, meaning an inner sense of integrity that you are saying what you're living, that you're speaking what you're thinking, that you are moving ever closer to your ideal as a manifestation of that divine love, that divine purity. And of course, the greatest of them all, according to Jesus, is love. And so to have that commitment amongst ourselves this morning, as once again we get the opportunity to be here and to be together and to look at each other and to enjoy our familiarity and our support, our comfort in knowing each other, and to draw on that and develop that and to reach out this morning with what you are, that divine love, to show that, to manifest that, to be like Takor, to be remembered for that. When you lay your life down and we get to talk to you, probably talk about you from this very pulpit (laughs) in your memory, that will talk about your love and, uh, and how warm you were and loving you were as a person. Hafiz, again, has a delightful word for us this morning called the old sweet beggar. He said, this path to God, it made me such an old, sweet beggar. I was starving, starving, until one night my love tricked God himself to fall into my bowl. And now I am infinitely rich. But all I ever want to do is to keep emptying out my emerald-filled pockets upon this tear-stained world. So the talk today is spiritual spelunking, which threw a lot of people for a loop. Uh, It's one of those words, I don't know where I learned it. Uh, I think it was actually from Pippi Longstocking. (laughs) When I was 10, I went to, they used to have a 50-cent matinee on the airbase, and I went and saw Pippi Longstocking all summer long. Spelunking was one of her favorite words. It's the idea of caving, of exploring caves. And uh, St. John of the Cross talks a lot about the caverns of the heart, the cave of the soul, that interior space. Uh, you know, even in the, in the, the scriptures the, and, and Takor's life, he also talks about that internal space, and we've talked about it many times. It's one of my favorite uh, subjects, uh, mostly um, just because of the adventure that it brings to mind. And uh, that's something about spiritual life that uh, puzzles me. Uh, and has puzzled me actually since my earliest memories in church when I was eight. And I would hear these things. Uh, back then, I was hearing a lot of them for the first time. And they were incredible things. You know, I was hearing stories about people rising from the dead. And I was hearing stories about people being healed and getting up and walking. And, uh, you know, 
two fish and a loaf feeding 7,000 people and all that. And I was like, as a kid, I was like, wow, that's amazing. But I'd look around, you know, and people weren't even smiling. It's like everybody was just sitting there, you know, listening to this lecture. And it, that, uh, that disconnect always, has always bothered me in my spiritual life and, and especially in, in group spiritual life, like at churches and stuff, that we talk about these amazing things, things that... <laughs> I mean, they're literally mind-blowing. I mean, if you actually take them at face value and believe them to be true, they demand some attention, some reaction, you know, some internal, like, oh, my God, that's amazing. That's huge. And yet, somehow, I guess because we hear them over and over and over again, we read them over and over and over again, we've become so uh, annulled to their excitement, to their mystery, to their, uh, you know, uh, adventure, of it, and so I've I've been trying lately. I guess this year, I guess that's kind of been my quest to renew that sense of of adventure in my spiritual life, and to read read a sentence twice in the gospel when it says something incredible, to sit there and realize, wow, that's <laughs> that's incredible, that's beautiful, and to try and and have that sense of wonder to renew that sense of of uh, mystery, that sense of excitement about realizing God. Just that we have that opportunity, that we have that, not just a potential, but a promise that it's going to happen, that we will have that realization, that understanding of the unity of the universe, our oneness with everyone, that we will know that uh, one day as a promise. That's an amazing piece of information. I mean, that's that's an amazing piece of information. And uh, I ran into some beautiful scriptures and some writings, kind of a mixture of things this week that I thought illustrated that idea. And uh, I wanted to become excited about investigating the internal world, looking inside and and becoming enthralled with that, becoming uh, excited about that, that when you sit down for meditation, you know, you're not just doing your, a practice, a remote kind of boring, you know, here I am again, and and your biggest accomplishment is that you manage to sit through it. You know, it's <laughs> I betray my own my own attitudes toward it sometimes. But that's why I'm working on renewing it because you're actually sitting there with the potential of realizing God, of finding that divine gem inside and having that experience, that oneness, that you're on a quest to find something in there that is life changing, world changing. That if you find that, if you touch that, even barely for a split second, you will change the world by the way you live your life. You will certainly change this place by the way you live your life. And to have that expectation, that excitement. I know I've told that story before when I first heard these things about Vedanta, when I first read the gospel. And uh, people are realizing God left and right. I mean, you know, they're having visions of God and goddesses and they're, uh, you know, Takor is popping out into ecstasy, uh, you know, every other page. And when I read that for the first time, I, I kind of thought that was normal, like Hindus lived with that. Like, you know, <laughs> you just kind of had people that would be talking to you about God and just suddenly pop out into ecstasy for a minute and come back. And uh, it wasn't, my, my, my naivete really wasn't helped too much when I, by meeting Pravrajika Mokshaprana as my first sadhu, you know, in my life and, and finding such a great deal of love and such a great deal of warmth in her. And uh, she kind of encouraged that, <laughs> that naive sense of expectation that I had. Uh, you know, I, I, I know I've told this story before, but I love to tell it because I like to be reminded of it. 
I was sitting in a cafe in, in Rishikesh, and uh, how it, <laughs> sitting there enjoying the food and whatnot, and Philip, my friend who was traveling with me, was sitting across the table, and I had taken initiation, and I was super excited about all the stuff that I had just found, and, and uh, just the whole atmosphere of Rishikesh and sadhus, you know, who own nothing sitting there, and just the different uh, swamis I got to talk to who, who owned nothing and were happier than I would ever be. Uh, was such an amazing thing that I remember I was sitting there talking to Philip, and I don't know, you, you know, you sometimes get those funny feelings inside or like the world wobbles for a minute because you're dizzy or <laughs> you're tired. I don't know what caused it. But like just some blip. And I remember just holding the table and telling Philip with a straight face, I honestly believed it, Philip, it's, it's happening. And he's like, what, what's happening? <laughs> and I'm like, think I'm, I'm going to realize, I'm going to realize, I'm going to realize God. I, I, I think it's going to happen. <laughs> and God bless him. He didn't laugh at me. You know, I, I think he bit his tongue till it bled, but uh, sat there and looked at me with that kind of expectation to sit down with that kind of belief. Oh my God, I'm going to, it's going to, okay, here, it's happening. I, it's happening to have that belief because it's promised. I mean, Takor, our very own tells us it's, it's, it's yours. It's yours. How long it takes is up to you. Just do a sixteenth of what he's done for you, and you'll be there. And to have that that eagerness. So spiritual caving, what's our motivation? Why are we interested in it? I was uh, reading the complete works of St. John of the Cross uh, this week, and I found two paragraphs uh, that motivated me that I found amazing uh, and inspiring. He's talking, he's writing to himself, and he says, What more do you want, O soul? And what else do you search for outside when within yourself you possess your riches, your delights, your satisfaction, your fullness and kingdom, your beloved whom you desire and seek? Be joyful and be gladdened in your interior recollection with him, for you have him so close to you. Desire him there. Adore him there. Do not go in pursuit of him outside of yourself. You will only become distracted and wearied, and you will not find him or or enjoy him more securely or sooner or more intimately than by seeking him within yourself. There is but one difficulty. Even though he does abide within you, he is hidden. Nevertheless, it is vital for you to know this hiding place so that you may search for him there with assuredness. And this, soul, is also what you ask when with the affection of love you question, where have you hidden? This idea that everything is inside, that, uh, I tried to put money on that uh, this week. You know, sometimes you you get into kind of low moods or a little bit down, you know, and you you kind of want to do something. Normally you kind of just want to go out and take a good walk or <laughs> you know, read a good book or get lost on the internet or something. I decided uh, this week, and I'm, I'm trying to do it more and more, and I've talked about this idea of refuge before, and it's, it's funny how you never really remember that. Like you never really count on that. And uh, I did it this week once. <laughs> and it was a beautiful time to sit there, you know, to feel down and to feel that desire to kind of get, to go get lost. You're just kind of, the world is sort of seen kind of gray and not very exciting. And uh, 
you know, I had I had remembered reading this, and I thought, well, let me just sit and know that I'm happy. Let me just sit and know that I'm full, that I'm in a good place, and to 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 just sit and enjoy that for a moment, and not try and entertain myself or to distract myself. And uh, it's funny what it what it brought up because I that's there. That's there, but the mind somehow demands a reason, you know, it demands like an external valid logical reason for that. You don't want to just sit there and pretend you're happy. It it won't let you do that. It you know, it it won't let you be happy without a reason. And uh, I found it very interesting that I had to battle my own mind to be content. Even though I could find that contentness, I could find that happiness, I could find that okay feeling just sitting there. The thing that are defined that the mind uh, won't let that happen was very interesting uh, to me, very fascinating. And uh, that it wanted to go outside, but you can't do that. If you go outside, you just get wearied, you get distracted. You know, I was talking with someone this week. Your desires, the more you fulfill them, the more you want them. They never have quite enough. You know, I know that by, uh, you know, I've, I've been trying to lose some weight, and I have to pass that prasad dish like 19 times every day. And it's sitting there, it's got chocolates and it's got chips and it's got <laughs> pretzels. I could go on. And uh, it just beautiful things. And like, you know, some days I'm, I make it. I make it the whole day and I lay down at night and it's like victory lap. You know, I'm laying there, yes, I didn't eat any of it all day today. But then there's those days where I'm like, mm, oh, well, you know, it's before lunch and I'll take a long walk today. Chocolate almond will be okay. And you have that one chocolate almond. Every single time you pass that thing, even if you had one, you want another one just as badly, (laughs) just as deeply as you wanted it as if you never had one. It didn't make any difference at all. So I wasted a fall. <laughs> you know, I like I wasted calories. You know, I, I that night I couldn't do my victory lap. I'd be like, oh well, okay, I had an almond, but uh, like that. Of course, yesterday it was much worse than an almond, but we won't talk about that either. So this idea that you have to find this place inside, we have to go looking for it, and to to make that a quest for the beloved. Like, don't when you close your eyes and you're going into your meditation. You're looking for the beloved. He, he, she has promised that they're there, that God is there, that that divinity is in you. And that quest of looking for it, you're playing hide-and-seek with, with God. I mean, that, <laughs> that could be pretty fun. I mean, that could be kind of exciting if you were really engaged in it, you know, if you were really looking for him or for her or for it or that trying to sense, trying to... If you really believed it was there, it's quite engaging. And it's quite hilarious on the same token that, that somehow this infinite God of a universe too big to comprehend is playing hide-and-seek with you in your very own heart, in your very own self. And that you get to go in there as a practice to find him, to find that, to enjoy that relationship. Yet you inquire... Since he whom my soul loves is within me, why don't I find him or experience him? The reason is that he remains concealed, and you do not also conceal yourself in order to find and experience him. 
If you want to find a hidden treasure, you must enter the hiding place secretly, and once you have discovered it, you will also be hidden, just as the treasure is hidden. Since then, your beloved bridegroom is the treasure hidden in a field for which the wise merchant sold all of his possessions. He's alluding to a story that, that Jesus told about a, 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 a rich man who knew that there was a treasure buried in a field and nobody else knew, and so he went and bought the field and and sold everything he had so he could afford that field because he knew by getting by by having that field he would have so much more, be so much more wealthy. And so he's alluding to that, this idea. Is, he says, since your, since your lover is hidden as a treasure in a field, that the wise merchant sells all that he has in order to have it. And that field, that field is your soul. In order to find him, you should forget all of your possessions, all of the creatures, and hide in the secret inner room of your spirit. And there, close the door behind you. Close the door to all things. And pray to your God in secret. Remaining hidden with him, you will experience him in hiding. That is, in a way, transcending all language and all feeling. So that's the promise. That's the carrot. <laughs> For when you sit down to meditate, to take maybe you know 15 seconds to remember why. Why am I doing this? I'm not doing it to get my hour finished, you know, to check off my practice for the day. Not even so that you can do your victory lap when you lay down <laughs> at night for being successful and having done it. But you're doing it to experience God. You're doing it because you have the potential in that moment of realizing the most amazing otherworldly experience that's possible for mankind. So the hand, I don't know, it seems like a handful of people have done it. And they've changed the world, even just to read about them. You know, as I'm reading about John and, and what he experienced, and when I think of the conditions within which he experienced it, what an inspiring and beautiful thing to read about. It's instantly an, a thing inside where you, you want, you want to be like that. That's why we call it an ideal. When we look at Takor, it's not just that he's cool, you know, it's not just that he was fun, <laughs> that he was brilliant. It's because we want to be like that. We want to be loving. We want to be caring. We want to always say the right thing. You know, we always want to be doing the exact right thing. We always want to be responsible for being an encouragement, for lifting people up around us. We all want to be remembered for that. And the potential of your spiritual life, the potential of your practice is that that will be what you are effortlessly once you find the beloved, once you begin that relationship in that interior cave. When he talks about hiding yourself from with the Lord, that you become hidden also, he's alluding to the fact that you leave the world outside. You leave all of your distractions out there, and you go inward where they can't find you, You know where they can't come and distract you and, and pull your mind out of that place. So our first, our first quest in, 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 in spelunking, in spiritual caving, is to find the cave entrance, really. That's, that's the very first thing. And that's the idea that it, that it exists, that, that this place exists within you, and that you have to find it. Sri Nishagadatta said something, and I've mentioned it before. He says, suffering is a call for inquiry. All pain needs investigation. Don't be too lazy to think. That's how you will find that cave entrance, 
by paying attention to listening to your life as scripture. When you're depressed, that's not something just to be endured. It's something to be investigated. It's something to be looked at very closely. Where is this coming from? Why is the place I'm standing in so painful? Where else can I go inside that it isn't so, that it isn't like that? The problem is that when you're in those spaces, when you're in that kind of darkness or when you're in that kind of loneliness, it's your mind and so it colors the whole world and you just think that's the way it is. But it's not that way. Your neighbors are, might be happy. You know, you go outside, the children are happy. So the potential for happiness is there. So begin inquiring. But inquire with the knowledge that there is a solution. That this divinity is within you. That your contentment is within you. That your delight is within you. To have that conviction and overcome that. Find that cave door and use, use the turmoil on the surface to guide you. To know that, wow, I'm not standing in the right place. I'm not content. Let me move here. <laughs> Let me move there. Till you, till you discover. So listen and pay attention. And take the difficult things of life as the voice telling you to investigate deeper. Look, look more closely. You're not seeing something clearly right now. Because that is not the nature of the world. You know, it's funny because you get, the teachers have said both, that this world is suffering, that it is pain. Because if you're standing on the notion of an, of an inaccurate self, the world is painful. It's, it's, it can be terrible. I mean, you look around, I mean, in our own lives, we have a certain amount of suffering. But certainly you can look around and see there's some people that are really hurting, you know, that are really going through some hellish situations. So from a perspective, this world can be hell. But when, when uh, M told Takor that, you know, and <laughs> made that statement about, yeah, this world is such a misery, Takor, you know, in bliss, looked at him and said, what are, you, what are you talking about? This is a mansion of mirth. So they also say that, that this world is a mansion of mirth. So from the proper perspective, from the chamber of the heart where you're standing with the beloved, the world is a delight, regardless of circumstance, regardless of challenge. So the psalmist David says, be still and know that I am God. To sit in that place. The cave entrance is very obvious. You know, it's you, after all. What's hiding it is that you're looking up and being intoxicated with the moving clouds and the big stars and the birds and the airplanes and whatnot. You're not being still. And in that stillness, when he says to sit there, there's some assumptions that you make. It's not just be quiet and put your thoughts out of the mind and, and just sit there in kind of this empty, toneless world. It means to sit there and know God. So you know some things are true. One, you know that there's infinite bliss in you. So sit there and don't think about infinite bliss. Don't, don't get the mind vibrating. You know, don't start coming up with logical conclusions as to why you can't see it or where do I, what needs to be done. It is. It's who you are. It's there already. So sit and know. Just know. Don't question. Don't wonder. Let the mind be quiet so that this knowing can become the impetus of your bliss, the impetus of your joy, the impetus of your love, of being what you've always wanted to be. 
So be still. Know that there's bliss there. Know infinite love. Know that fulfillment is there. Know that you are complete, that you're whole, that you need nothing. Don't let it become an argument. Don't let it, don't let, but, but, but. Mm -mm. Sit still and know God. Sit still and know God. That's the entrance to the cave. Now, I was looking uh, online for spelunking, and thank goodness that iHow.wiki or WikiHow or whatever it is has a great uh, page on how to spelunk, how to go spelunking, caving. And they've got, uh, they, they have five points, and I'll go through them and then completely twist them in a very odd way. So your number one is go with a group. So once you get an idea that this caving experience exists, that God is within you, first thing you do is find a group of people. We've done that. Here we are. Look around. Make sure everybody goes into the cave and, well, I was going to say come out of the cave, but hopefully we all get lost. (laughs) In the gospel, in a song in the gospel, Takor is singing, companionship with holy men will be for you a welcome rest house by the road. There, rest your weary limbs a while, asking your way. If ever you should be in doubt of him who watches there, if anything along the path should frighten you, then loudly shout the name of the Lord. You can do that here. So I've never actually heard any of us do that. (laughs) Might be kind of a fun thing. So at some random point today or in the future, if you just want to randomly shout out the name of God, we have a context for that now. We won't throw you out. And uh, (laughs) make that practice. But use each other. We talk about this quite a bit because it's a very important thing. Holy company, holy company, holy company, holy company. Takor says it all the time. And, uh, you know, there's some people who who are really exercising that, spend a lot of time and are in communication. But I invite everybody to really pull in with each other. Become that support. Find that inspiration in others. You know, I, uh, one of the problems of having a group of religious people is that there's always a bell curve. So there's always a group of people that are like, oh, they're such hypocrites, or, you know, I can't stand those people. They're so pretentious. You know, it's like, <laughs> I hate that these are recorded because I know my parents are going to hear these things. But, you know, one of, our, one of our expertises as a family, one of the things we became really good at was being the very last people into church and the very first people out after it was over. I mean, by the time the end stopped and that amen at the end of the prayer, we were in the car and on our way to Applebee's. You know, it was like, <laughs> we did it. And not to have that kind of thing. You know, I, there was a Neil Gallagher was a very inspirational preacher uh, in, in Albuquerque when I was growing up. He came in and he was just on fire. And he was one of those people you could have easily gotten turned off by because he was a little over the top you know like if you asked neil how he was doing he'd he'd always have a smile and be like excellent but i'm getting better you know and that's like all right (laughs) but neil said one something one time which really helped me and made me think because i was sort of leaning toward one of those judgmental people who was kind of like oh they just don't get it this church is so dead you know nobody really loves god and thinking like that And uh, Neil one time said from the pulpit, he said, if somebody's standing between you and God, that means they're just that much closer than you are. (laughs) So (laughs) that's infuriating if you think about that. Like, but but," (laughs) he's between us because I don't like him. I think he's a hypocrite. 
But he made that statement, and I, I took that to heart, and I thought about that. I was like, well, okay, all right. And that's when we have to turn inward, manage your own field. Don't let those kind of thoughts come into your mind. It's not helpful to you, and it's not helpful to anybody else uh, in, in the center. You know, if we, if we begin looking around with a judgmental eye, if we begin coming up with reasons that we don't want to hang out or that we don't like being with or, you know, being around those people, it's a lot easier not to make those decisions. You know, I, I found that out not, not too long ago. You'd think I would hit that before 50, but it's just now occurring to me that when you meet somebody and you're kind of getting to know them, you at some point make a decision, I like them or I don't like them. And that point of decision changes the way you treat them for the rest of your time with them. If you decide that you don't like them, you begin avoiding them, you begin kind of not being around when they're around, whatever. It depends on how distasteful they are. There was a time, I hesitate to say recently, it's not really recently, because I don't want you to all just start trying to figure out who this would be, where, <laughs> where I had the thought, I kind of came to the conclusion, my mind came to the conclusion, you know, I don't like, I don't like that person. I don't like that person. And I stopped, and I, I heard myself say that. I heard the mind say that. And I stopped, and I demanded of myself. I said, why, why would you go through the trouble of making that decision about somebody? You've taken them as they were up until this point, without a decision of liking them or not liking them. You've taken them as they were up until this point. Why would you make your life difficult by deciding you don't like them? You know, why carry that around with you now? Every time you see them, you have to say, I don't like that person, you know? And then you begin only seeing those things that reinforce that idea. I really don't like that person, <laughs> you know? So when it comes to that, as a group of seekers, you are the caving team. You know, we're, we're, a, we're a pod, like it or not. The fact that you're in the room this morning makes you a part of the pod. <laughs> you can be part of other pods too, but you're part of this one. And somebody in the room is depending on you at some point to be there for them. And you're going to depend on, at some point, somebody in this room being there for you. So don't ever decide that you don't like somebody or that you, you, you just you find them distasteful. Just leave it neutral at best. You know, if that's where the mind is, just always take them as they are. You know, just always kind of accept like it is and leave it at that. Don't have an attitude toward them. Don't, don't reinforce an idea about them. Just be with them, you know, for that time. And look for an opportunity to serve them. Look for an opportunity to help them, you know. Open yourself to an opportunity to be helped by them, to find something good in them. So be in a group. Find each other and move forward. Find that comfort and that rest in each other. The second thing I have says is be well-equipped. All right. Now, this is a long list, and I don't know if I'm going to get through this whole thing. Ephesians, they're going to the Bible for this because they have a really good outline of armor. So it's kind of odd. For our spelunking, we're putting on armor. <laughs> that just means we're really expecting to get into it. So Ephesians 6, 14, he says, Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the good news of peace. And in, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of evil, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the words of your God. So I wanted to break those down and think about what each one of them meant, you know, because it's very interesting that the writer 
assigns them to particular pieces of equipment. And so I wanted to look at those natures of those pieces of equipment, sort of see if we can kind of come up with some cool ideas, some ideas about what he means then. So the first was stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So we've got a belt. It's holding everything else together, keeping the pants up, keeping the shirt down, keeping the sword wherever it, I assume it's hooked to the belt. So it's, it's something fundamental, your truth. Your, your integrity as a person, your ability to take information and to, to, to let it trickle down all the way through your being so that your life becomes your word, that your mind becomes your message, that the world that you present outwardly is the world you actually live in inwardly. So to have that holding everything together, that's fundamental, very important, that you be a person of integrity with what you're looking for and what you're, what you're being a part of. Uh, Vivekananda talks about truth, and he says, this truth, it's not what you see. Truth is not what you see around you. What we see is not truth as long as any desire creeps into the mind. God is true, and the world is not true. So long as there is in the heart the least desire for the, soul, for, the, for the world, truth will not come. All right. Well, that seems pretty harsh in one sense, but if you take it back to what we know before, we don't need anything. So when you feel that desire, that's a good time to become alert, to pay attention to life as scripture, and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Why do I feel a lack? What, what initiated my feeling like I'm not whole, like I'm not complete? What, how did that happen? There's always a reason. For me, it's the smell of pizza. I smell pizza and I suddenly realize I don't have any, and it must be had for happiness, must be had for happiness, at least two slices. The problem is, you shouldn't be so... I mean, if you live your life like I was living my life when I walked by pizza parlors in San Francisco where you're so easily pulled out of that center. You know, you're so easily pulled out. A commercial comes on about some perfume, you know, with some person looking beautiful and, like, they've got it all together. And uh, you're suddenly like, that perfume is probably what I'm missing. You know, (laughs) probably the one thing in my life. But it can be anything because advertising, especially in this country, is designed to pull you out of that space. You ever play those little games of those silly little ball bearings and you have to make them stay in a little indentation that's never quite big enough for them? And you're sitting there and sometimes you have to go through a maze. Experience of spiritual life is like that. When you find this cave entrance and you're sitting there being still and realizing the nature of God within yourself, you're in that little center there. And there's all kinds of things coming through the senses that are going to try and pull you out of there. You know, the mind is going to insist on a logical reason, or you're going to smell pizza, or the phone's going to ring, or, you know, something. You're going to start missing your friend, whatever it is. But always pay attention. When you feel that sense of lack, stop and find it. What pulled me out of there? What assumptions am I making? And why did I come from a moment of contentment to a moment of discontent? And find that. And don't, be, don't let that happen. Go back. Remind yourself, no, 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 the beloved is here. Everything I need is already within me. That at this moment, I could realize God. I don't need 
anything else to be added to me for that to happen. So clearly it's a matter of me just not seeing it as opposed to me not having it. So go inside and find it, look for it. So that belt of truth. And with the breastplate of righteousness in place. This uh, is a very important one, although it's kind of one of those ones we don't like to think about. The way you live does matter. You know, a lot of times (laughs) you do have to be pure in mind and pure in heart. You do have to be unselfish. Why? Because those things, the, the converse of those things are the things that pull you out of that that little delicate place of balance inside where you're aware of your true nature. You know, if you don't live properly, if you don't live right living, the mind is disturbed. You know, the mind's disturbed. If you follow those cravings for sex, the world becomes about sex. You know, and you can't sit there in stillness and know God because the mind will instantly be coming out of that center feeling that desire, feeling that lack, you know. You can't, be, you can't be a mean person because if you sit there in that stillness and know that I am God, you'll know that you've been a mean person and it will disturb you and it will pull you out of that center. You can't be greedy for the same reason. You can't lie for the same reason. It's, you know, it's, it's not to tie you down and make life miserable. It's to set you free that you live righteously, even though that seems like a loaded word. At least I might be projecting. I am projecting because I know righteousness to me was such a distasteful word growing up. It, it kind of drew the line between good people and bad people, and I hated that line. I was like, no, no, I don't like that line. And one of the beautiful things about Vedanta is you don't have to have that line. It's about your righteousness. Don't worry about anybody else's. But pursue that righteousness, that right living, so that you can sit in that space with the beloved and not forget your fullness and your completeness. So the breastplate of righteousness, it's what protects the heart. It's what, what, what protects your soul to live rightly. It's what helps you enjoy that inner peace. So your breastplate of righteousness. And shod your feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the good news of peace. I really liked this one because what does that mean? To the readiness of peace. I sang that song from, from Vivekananda because when I did a search on peace and was wondering about peace, he wrote that, Vivekananda wrote that whole poem about peace. And that poem, in its essence, is about infinite potential. You know, he goes about and he talks about it's the power that's not power, the light that, that is in darkness, the shade and dazzling light, the joy that's never spoke, the grief that's unfelt, the immortal life unlived, eternal death unmourned. It's not joy or sorrow. It's kind of in between. It's not night or day. It's the thing that joins them together. It's sweet rest and music. It's the quiet and sacred art, the silence between speaking, between two fits of passion. The calm of heart, beauty never seen, love that stands alone, song that lives unsung. You see infinite potential, infinite potential. So find that place of stillness in you where infinite potential exists. Have that on your feet, and you can move from that space, from that space of inner peace, from that space of inner potential, you can move. Your movement is not in a quest for something. It's a fulfillment of what you are. Your motives come from a pure place, come from that hole in the wall through which God is being seen, that inner chamber. 
So to have that and approach that. So put those on your feet, feet of peace, so that wherever you go and whatever you wander to, it's for the reason of peace. It's establishing peace wherever you go. You are a man of peace. A room is peaceful because you're there. Uh, Last night I went to church for the first time and let's not talk about it. Long time. Haven't been to church in a long time. Went to church last night. And uh, the, the sermon, uh, one, of the, the, one of the P's of, actually I don't think it was one of the three P's, because I felt like when he was talking that it should have been one of the three P's, was that St. Francis was a, a man of peace. And that whenever he gave three examples of fights that were happening, like between a bishop and a mayor in a town, and how Francis composed a poem of peace and then went in the town square and sang that song, had, his, had all of his monks go and stand in the town square and sing this song in order to bring a reconciliation. So that's having your feet shod with peace. You know, to, wherever you go, you're the one that brings peace. You're in an office. Offices are, are you know, breeding grounds for discontent and dissent. You know, this group doesn't like that group. This person's blaming that person. This meeting disturbed this group. You know, the company wants to go this way and everybody else wants to go that way. You are the man of peace, the woman of peace in that environment. If, you want, if you're living in this space, if you're taking that, that space of the beloved, you are the reason that your office is peaceful. You are the one that helps bring things together. You are the one responsible for setting an, a- an atmosphere of equanimity and of love in that environment because you carry it within you. It is who you are. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of evil. Vivekananda says, uh, the history of the world is the history of a few men who had faith in themselves. That faith calls out the divinity within. Don't be broken down. So this shield of faith, you know, you're holding it up. And what is faith? It's that quiet assumption inside, that quiet assumption of your nature, that continual belief, God is within me. Pure love exists. Truth exists. Peace exists. Equanimity is the natural state of being. It's a faith in that. The assumptions that we were talking about earlier when you want to find the entrance to the cave. Sitting there and not looking for it, but sitting there and accepting that it is within you. That it's yours already. That that, that's the battle. Shutting the mind down. Keep it, you know, put put the pool cues away that are shooting the balls all over the table, put it all aside and realize that's there. It's all, it's all in its place. So you have that, 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 uh, that, that assumption of peace. Now in Christianity, they've taken, they've taken all the, the bad of the world and they've kind of personified it as, as Satan. And one of the interesting things about Satan, and I bring this up because it was helpful to me in trying to work through this stuff, Satan's called the accuser. That's, that's his nature. So the evil, the evil one is the accuser. And I thought that was very interesting because if you take that to its nth degree, you understand that that's the nature of evil. Evil's always got its finger, you know, going. And uh, that gets inside of us, too. You know, that self-hatred or that self-accusation, you know, destroys that, that inner peace. When we start believing wrong ideas about ourselves, when we start believing, oh God, I'm so, I'm so mean, or I, why don't I care, you know, or why can't I, 
you know, remember names. <laughs> why, why don't I find myself reaching out to people? We sit and, and immediately, not immediately, but a lot of times those fingers start pointing. The shield of faith is protecting you from those arrows of evil, you know, because you only get to say three things about yourself. This is one of my favorite points ever in the whole wide world of spiritual life. You get to say three things about yourself. I'm bliss, love, absolute. I am knowledge, intelligence, and I exist. I am. Those are the only three things you can say about yourself and, and be telling the truth. If you say, I'm angry, if you say, I'm tired, if you say, I'm lonely, if you say, uh, you know, I'm jealous, it's not one of those three things. It's a lie. You need your f- shield of faith. You need that belief. No, I, divinity, I've got three qualities, Satchit ananda. Those are my three qualities. Anything else, I've been deceived. I won't propagate deceit in my own mind, in my own place. It won't be there. Truth and integrity, alignment as a person, that's who I am. I am Satchitananda. And the helmet of salvation. That's the, the consonant that protects, it protects your thinking, protects your, <laughs> your quest, really. The knowledge of salvation. Takwar promised you, you will come home. You will have this realization. It's the thought that can bring you up when you feel like you're losing the battle. It's the thing that brings you back to trying again when you've tried a million times and failed. You have that helmet on, that constant reiteration, this has been promised to me. This is not an illusion. This is not something I can even fail at. I cannot fail. It has been promised. I will come home. At some point, I will have my realization. And to remember that, keep that as your helmet. It's the thing that, that uh, a very important part to protect your head. You know, So keep it there and sit down when you do your practice and have that helmet on. That's your motivation. That's, that's the gem. <laughs> that's the promise of your being, of your nature, the point of life. The sword of the spirit, which is, of course, the scripture. Takor says, is anything impossible for the grace of God? Suppose you bring a light into a room that's been dark a thousand years. Does it remove the darkness little by little? The room is lighted all at once. Intense renunciation is what is needed. One should be like an unsheathed sword. So this is your sword of truth. Living with that renunciation. What is renunciation? I believe, and I'm going to propagate this idea. I don't care if it's, well, I do care, of course, if it's (laughs) scriptural or not. But I like this idea of renunciation. And I told somebody yesterday, I said, the unique thing about Vedantic renunciation is that it's not about giving up anything. The beautiful thing about Vedantic renunciation is that it's all about going toward God and letting everything else drop out of your hands. You know, if someone, if you've got a cookie in your hand and somebody offers you a half a box with a half a dozen cookies, sure, you have to renounce the one cookie in order to get the six cookies. But how many people are like, oh God, I, I really liked that cookie, and <laughs> that was the right cookie. These six, I just don't know if I'm going to be happy with that. That's the way we approach renunciation because our renunciation is all about giving up. We've got our head turned about the, you know, looking at the things we've left behind. Forget that. Your renunciation is about your relationship with the beloved in this inner shrine, this cave of yours. It's about getting a bigger and better thing 
and just naturally letting go of the lesser things. The things that if you're paying attention to your life as scripture, you will naturally let go of those things because you will find that they are burning your fingers. They are burning your fingers and you will naturally let go of them. Live a life of renunciation, which is a life that naturally happens when you're paying attention, when you're listening to your suffering, when you're listening to your, your misery and acting accordingly. Renunciation is natural. And it's about what you get, where you're going, what you're becoming, what you're realizing. It's about that divine light. And to live your life, you should live your life as, as with, like with a sword drawn. So you are always discriminating. That blade is very sharp. You know, you're always, no, that's not true. Not, that's true. Not true. So you're just living that life with that sword drawn, that sword of renunciation. You're like, not true. Not going to work for me. I'm going here. I'm going that way. Okay, so that's, that is having, having your, your sword of, of uh, the word of God, that discrimination, that knowledge, that renunciation that comes naturally. Now I'm going to go to Takor because Takor always has beautiful things. He's singing a song or having a song sung. And in the song, it gives us a few more tools. With love as the lamp to light your way. So if you're wondering, is this the right corridor to the treasure? Is this where the beloved is hiding? You've got the light of love. Is it loving? Am I, is it unselfish? Is it, is it increasing my boundaries of self to include the people and world around me? Then yeah, it's probably the right way to go. So your lamp is love, the thing that's showing you the right way, the right way into the chamber. Is it love? As your provision for the journey, bring with you the virtues. We talked about that. Carefully concealed. Interesting. Why do you conceal your virtues? Because if you're not careful, they become your pride. They become your identity. And you become one, <laughs> you become one of those horrible, smug, self-righteous religious people. <laughs> if you're not careful, if you don't, if you don't, Take your virtues as a matter of course, that these are who everybody is and what everybody should be. If you start wearing them as your badges of accomplishment, they become hideous. <laughs> they become horrible. You know, they become just intolerable. So hide them, conceal them. Be this loving, wonderful person without having any idea that that's what you're being or doing. Because it's not a matter of this ego doing it's a matter of manifesting what naturally is for everybody. There's nothing special about you in that sense. You're just being what everybody is. Good for you. Good for you. But it's not a badge. It's just a natural, normal thing. So take with you these virtues, carefully concealed. Greed and delusion wait to rob you of your wealth and keep beside you constantly as guards to shelter you from harm. Calmness of mind and self-control. These two things, we've talked about that, being able to stay in that center, being able to stay pure. John ends by saying, Come then, O beautiful soul, since you know that your desired beloved lives hidden within your heart, strive to be really hidden with him, and you will embrace him within you and experience him with a loving affection. Come, enter into your inner rooms and shut the door behind you. Hide yourself a little, even for a moment. I will give you hidden treasures and reveal to you the substance and mysteries of the secrets. 
that substance of the secrets is God himself. That's spiritual spelunking. Those are your tools for finding that divinity within you. That is the reason to be excited, (laughs) to be intoxicated, inebriated with your spiritual life. Hafiz says, Never say it is not me. I taste what you taste. I know the kind of lyrics that you most like. I know which sounds will become resplendent in your mind and bring such pleasure to your feet that they need to jump and whirl. When anything touches or enters your body, never say it is not me, for God is just trying to get close. I have no use for divine patience. My lips are now burning and everywhere. I'm running from every corner of this earth and sky wanting to kiss you. I am every particle of wheat, every particle of dust. I am the ground from I am ground from his own body. I am rioting at your soul's door. I am spinning in midair like golden falling leaves trying to win your glance. I am sweetly rolling against your walls and shores all night even though you are asleep. I am singing from the mouth of animals and birds honoring God's ancient promise, his need to let you know the truth. My dear When anything ever touches or enters your body, never say it is not me, for God is just trying, for the beloved is just trying to get close. Hafiz has fallen into his glass and is now rushing to your side from every corner of existence, needing to say, I am yours. Let's take a minute, short minute. It's a short minute because I kept going. <laughs> We've got a few things coming up. Next weekend, next Sunday, Swami Atmagyanananda is going to speak on the motherhood of God. That'd be great. This uh, Wednesday, of course, we've got our Svetasvatara Upanishad class. That's always mind-bending, so come and find out what we don't know. And uh, Friday night is the Bhagavad Gita this week, so be there for that. Now, on the 18th, we've got our Durga Puja celebration, our worship of God as Mother Durga. And outside, I noticed 